Hebrews 7, beginning in verse 20 to the end of the chapter. Hebrews 7. And inasmuch as it was not without an oath, for they indeed became priests without an oath, but he with an oath through the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. So much the more also Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. The former priests on the one hand existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus on the other hand because he continues forever holds the priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins, and then for the sins of the people, because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints a son made perfect forever. Let's pray together. Our Father God, we thank you that you are a covenant-making God. And Father, we thank you for the covenant that you have offered to each of us that we may enter into by faith in Jesus Christ. And Father, we come tonight to look afresh at that covenant. And Lord, we pray that as you look upon our lives that you see thankful hearts filled with trust and faith in you. We pray that you would speak to us, Lord Jesus and shore up our lives and bring forth much fruit, we pray in your name. Amen. I want to talk to you about a better covenant. And <clears throat> the writer of Hebrews points it out here, and he comes back to this oath in verse 20, inasmuch it was, as it was not without an oath. Uh, resulting in a better covenant. And I've been chewing all week on Greg's message last week. And there is so much meat in it, I have to listen to it a couple more times. And so, a couple of the things that I think I've been able to digest. Greg pointed out that this word, teleosis, was used in the Septuagint for the ordination of the Levitical priests. And I want to just briefly, briefly explain to you what the Septuagint was. During the captivity, the diaspora, when the Jews were uh, cast out of Israel and brought to Babylon, and then the Babylon, Babylonian Empire was taken over by the Medo-Persian Empire, and then it was destroyed by uh, Alexander the Great, and then in a short time his four generals took over. And the Jews had been in the dispersion for so many years, and now in the Hellenistic culture, the Greek culture, 
the Jews were losing the language of Israel. And so the Bible was translated into the Greek language. The Old Testament was translated into the Greek language. And a translation is also a commentary. And so the Septuagint is very valuable for us to understand how the early rabbis viewed the Old Testament scriptures. And they used this word for perfection applied to the Levitical priests. Now the writer of the book of Hebrews understands what's going on here and he is writing to correct a misapplication of a word because perfection could never be accomplished through the Aaronic Levitical priesthood. And so he expresses here in Hebrews a correction of this error and it, it seems to have gone through Judaism even to the time of the early church where people were saying, well, the Levitical priesthood was perfect. Why not go back to it? And the writer of Hebrews is saying, no, perfection was never accomplished through the Levitical priesthood, but only through the high priest, Jesus Christ. So that's kind of what's going on here. It's fulfilled only through the one, the anticipated one, the anointed one, Jesus Christ, that the, that the um, Mosaic law was looking forward to. It was looking for the coming of the fulfillment of the law, the, the savior that could deliver man from sin because what? The law points out sin and the need for salvation. And so... This perfection could be accomplished only through the one who is to come, the Lord Jesus. And then the writer refers to this oath, and he takes it from Psalm 110, verse 4. And we have it recorded here in verse 21, exactly verse 4 from Psalm 110. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. And it's very fascinating because I assumed that you could find that oath expressed elsewhere in the Old Testament, but I couldn't find it. If you can, I would be love to find it. Which tells me that David, in writing the 110th Psalm, says right at the beginning of it, a Psalm of David, that the Lord gave him revelation and understanding that the promise that God had made to him that David would not build God a house, but God would build him a house and that he would have a son who would sit on his throne forever as what? King. That his son would not only be king, but he would be a high priest forever. Well, that's a mind blower. And David is given this revelation now, it may not seem like much to you, but I always kind of assumed that psalms were just kind of poetic lyrics to songs about truth and the revelation of God. In other words, quoting other scriptures of the substance of other scriptures, but not so. Psalms also are revelation. Now, I should have known that, but um, they are revelation, they are prophecy, and they are doctrine. And the writer of Hebrews goes to a psalm, a song of the early Hebrews, and establishes a doctrine of this one 
who would be according to the order of Melchizedek, who was the perfect one. And who would be the fulfillment and to whom uh, an oath is given that he would be a priest forever. So David as king and prophet reveals this in the 110th Psalm and the writer of Hebrews picks up on it over and over and over again. And so it's a weighty matter. And so God has brought us to a better covenant than the Mosaic Covenant. And the people, uh, early Christians, as we've seen and expressed repeatedly, were going back to the Old Covenant. And I just want to take a moment and talk about a covenant. What is a covenant? What are the characteristics? First of all, there is a covenant maker. And the covenant maker of the Old and the New Covenant are God. And for the covenant maker, there needs to be a respondent. In other words, there needs to be people who either accept or reject the covenant. But the covenant is not negotiated. It is not a contract. And probably every person in this room is involved in some kind of a contract or another. If you own a if you have a mortgage or you have this or that, there are conditions that both of you agree on and you go in and you sign the contract and you say, is that all right with you? Is that all right with you? Yes, it is. And the contracts can be amended. But a covenant cannot be amended. Because God is the maker of the covenant and you either accept the covenant or you do not accept the covenant. Secondly, there is a covenant keeper. And the covenant keeper is the same as a covenant maker. It is God. It is God who keeps the covenant. You and I have entered into a covenant with God through Jesus Christ, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the keeper of that covenant is God. It is God. And you and I, by faith, trust in him as that covenant keeper. Thirdly, there is a covenant purpose and <clears throat> for which the maker of the covenant has a purpose for making that covenant with us. And God, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, has established a covenant with basically two purposes. One is to give us eternal salvation, John 3.16, and to give us abundant life now on this earth, John 10.10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I am come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And so God has a purpose in his covenant for us. And fourthly, there is a covenant fulfillment or there is a termination point in the future with promise. And that, of course, is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and our entering into his glory and into eternal fellowship with him. And so there is that future Fulfillment. All of them are brought about by God. Our part is through, in the new covenant, is through faith in Jesus Christ. Now we know in the old covenant, God, through Moses, made a covenant. It took him 40 days and 40 nights up on the mountain just to receive the covenant. And come down and all of the things of the construction of the tabernacle, the observance of the holidays, 
the what you do eat, what you don't eat, what are the moral codes and all of that. All of these conditions of the covenant. The law. The people's part was to practice, observe, and to enter into the ritualistic uh, worship of God. And there were blessings and there were curses when they, when they entered into Canaan. Two mountains. On one they read the blessings. On the other they read the curses. There was fulfillment of that covenant when the Lord Jesus Christ came. It all looked forward to the hope of a Savior who would deliver us from our sin. And he came. It's interesting that as they read the Old Testament scriptures, particularly Isaiah, they were looking for a suffering servant and a liberating king. And they couldn't understand how those two fit together. But they were looking forward to one who was coming. In the new covenant, we enter in through the gospel of Jesus Christ into salvation by faith in that anticipated savior of the old covenant. We enter into the realization of what they were looking to. And we walk by faith in him. And we look forward to the fulfillment of that covenant at his return. Our full salvation. You think this is good, there's more to come in Jesus Christ. And in the new covenant, there are two ordinances compared to all of the laws of the old covenant. God has given us two ordinances that continually point to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the, the covenant offer that God has extended to us through faith in Jesus Christ. And those two ordinances are, first of all, baptism. The best description of that covenant is in Romans chapter 6. That we're buried with Christ in a death like his and we're raised in a resurrection like his to walk in newness of life. Focusing upon our sin and our need to die to the flesh and to be transformed by the power of Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit to walk in his righteousness. That's baptism. The second one is the Lord's Supper. Through which we remember the cross. We remember, we remember the price that has been paid for us. We remember the basis of our salvation. And we remember that the gospel of Jesus Christ that was offered to us at the beginning, that we accept his atoning blood on our behalf to forgive us of sin. And that is not only how we begin, but that is how we walk. Day by day, amen? It is how we live. And so consequently, the early church observed the Lord's Supper to recognize the means of our salvation. We cannot live this life on our own. We need the abiding grace, mercy, and fellowship of Jesus Christ. And so, so much for the oath. In verse 22, he says, so much the more also Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. I'm going to cushion this a little bit. It's the only place in the New Testament that this word is used, and I don't believe it's used anywhere in the Septuagint version of the Old Testament. The Greek word sounds like egg yolk, egyos, and it means a guarantee, a guarantor. It is translated other ways. It can be a surety or a sponsor. 
In the common vernacular, what it means is that Jesus Christ is the one with the clout in our life. He is the one who can get things done. He is the one who guarantees what he has promised us in the new covenant that he will bring it to pass and he will fulfill that covenant for and through us as we follow him simply by faith. That guarantee of a better covenant. There was no such thing in the old covenant. There was no such thing. There was only the continual reminder of failure and sin. And the hoping of a time in the future that things would change. And so... In verse 23 through 25... It says, the former priests, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were presented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds the priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Now, this is just a mind-blowing verse. We don't have to change priests. We don't have to look for something better or for something else. And we don't have to listen to those who come along and say, I got a new thing. There's a new wave, a new movement in Christianity. And you guys got to get in on this. It's really fantastic. It's just, it just blows your mind. It's so wonderful. You need to come over here and hear about this. Because there is nothing better. And this cannot be improved upon. And if it wasn't for the fact that we were comparing the Mosaic Covenant and the New Covenant through faith in Jesus Christ, we'd have to call it not a better covenant, but the best covenant. There can be nothing better. And sadly today, people uh, in churches many times go aside after things that promise better but only wind up worse. And so what is there that is so phenomenal about this new covenant? He's able to save forever those who draw near to God through him. He will never let you go. He will never let you down. He will never fail you in your darkest experience. He is there with you and he will bring you through. And he has a purpose for what's going on in your life right now. He is working in your life right now. And you may say, well, how do you know? It's really going rough with me. How can this be good? And by his hand, he's carving out something that is far better than any other way. And he is working in your life. He's able to save forever those who draw near to him. And then this last part since he always, how, how long? Always lives to make intercession for us. David says in the 139th Psalm, your thoughts are too great for me. I, it just blows my mind. I cannot grasp that you're thinking of me at all times. I can't go anywhere from your presence. Before I came forth and had a thought or a breath, you were forming me in my mother's womb, intricately wrought. You were there watching and making me and forming me, and your hand was on me. 
And I didn't have faith. I didn't have any knowledge. I didn't have any thoughts. And yet God's hand was upon each one of us and brought us forth. He always lives to make intercession for them. That's us, for us. He is interceding for us. What's that mean? He's praying for you. He's before the Father, bringing your name before the throne of God, before the throne of grace, and calling upon God. Now that touches me because I know I'm not perfect. And yet he loves me that much that he's interceding for me. He saves forever. He always lives to make intercession for us. You see, we're not working for his favor. He's working for our good. You don't have to make God love you. He loves you. I jotted down a little question here that kind of brings out the old covenant and the new covenant. <clears throat> Just to ask you the question, does your God drive a police car or an ambulance? A lot of Christians, their God drives a police car because they think God is always following around. Ah, 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 caught you in that. Ah, ah, ah. Didn't use your turn signal. Oh, you missed that stop sign. And that's their God. But our God is following us for our good, for our healing, to tenderly care for us. The writer of Hebrews goes on in 26, where it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak. But the word of the oath, there it is again, the oath, which came after the law appoints a son made perfect forever. We have a mighty, glorious high priest. A mighty, glorious high priest. There is no better than the relationship that you have right now and where you are right now. Cheryl and I occasionally pray, we thank you, God, that you have brought us to this point in our life and that you have led us through all of the things that you have brought us through. And Lord, right now, we know that you're working in our lives. Now, does that mean to say that there aren't things in our lives that we would like to see different? Not necessarily, but the Lord is working in all of those things and all of those struggles and all of those details. He is not needy, he's not flawed, and he never fails. And he is your God. I went to just share, I don't know, have a clue where I am on time. I just want to share an illustration that really kind of doesn't quite measure up to the greatness of our relationship with God through this new covenant, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the blood of Christ. And it's a bit passe. Suppose you get your paycheck. 
and it's time to make the house payment. So you go down to the bank and you walk up to the teller with your paycheck and you say, yes, I would like to cash this check and make my house payment. And the teller calls up your account and is looking at it and you can see that they're kind of puzzled and they're just kind of perplexed and really don't understand what's going on and you say, what's wrong? And they say, well, I have good news for you and I have bad news for you. The good news is that your house payment has been paid in full. Your house is paid off. Anybody have a mortgage? That'd be nice. It's paid in full. You're kind of dumbfounded. Well, who would do that? How could that be? Who did that? And the teller says, wait, just a minute. I'll see if I can find out. And he goes back and he says, your employer paid it off. Oh, wow. What's the bad news? Your check won't cash. And you become incensed. I was going to buy, stop by C's Chocolates on the way home and get some candy. And I was going to, you know, take my kids to, on a weekend trip and everything. And I don't have the money. And you have two choices. You can go to your employer and throw a fit because your check wouldn't cash. Or you can say, you know, anyone who would do something that nice for me, I don't have to worry about them. They will take care of me. And you know our God has taken care of the big things. We are destined for heaven. We are children of God. We are saved. We are sanctified. We are his forevermore. And nothing can take us out of his hand. Now we have struggles, don't we? We have those things in the present and as we see the clouds on the horizon in this nation, we see struggles coming and difficulties and, and we wonder how we're going to make it and what's going to happen, but he will get us through it. And he will provide and he will care for you and he will care for me. The early Jewish believers who put faith in Jesus Christ, lost their jobs, many of them lost their careers, and they lost their families because all of their friends and their business partners and relationships were Jewish people who did not believe. And we can read in the book of Acts the antagonism, and they, they faced great problems and great struggles that caused them to want to go back and just compromise a little bit and go back to the, t the, tabern the temple and just go back with the flow and make everybody happy. My brother, when he was in the army, army in the 60s, one of his good friends was a Jewish young man named Steve from Boston. And my brother shared the gospel with him and and he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and he, <clears throat> he agreed with everything my brother told him through the gospel of Christ. And my brother said, well, maybe you should be baptized into Christ. And Steve said, oh, I could never go public. I could never do that. My father would disown me. I would lose my entire family. I would lose my entire career when I get out of the military. 
my father would get all of our relatives together and they hold a funeral service and they would have had a funeral service for Steve. He would have lost everything. And there are those problems that we face when we choose to follow after Jesus Christ. But there's a better covenant. And the great benefits of following Christ cannot compare to the things of this world. It is God who sets the conditions of the covenant. It is not ours to negotiate with him. It is ours to respond to that covenant through Jesus Christ. I just want to ask you, how could anything be better than what God has established for us through Jesus Christ? That he lived a sinless life That he went to Calvary for you and me. That he died, he shed his blood, he suffered the guilt of our sin. And he, his blood is offered to you and me to atone for our unrighteousness that we may enter into his glory with him forevermore. Can you think of a better deal? Can you think of a better offer? I can't. And I just thank God that we by faith can enter in that marvelous relationship with God and be contented in that relationship, not looking for something else, not shopping around saying, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you for this covenant. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your wonderful offer that you have extended to us through Jesus Christ. We thank you for the price that you have paid for us. No one else would have paid what you have paid. No one else would have sacrificed what you have sacrificed only to possess us. And Father, we accept your offer through Jesus Christ. We are completely contented and we are thankful for what you have done, and we are delighted in this relationship with you. Father, our struggles day in and day out in this world, we pray for your grace and your strength. The early church was faced with the opposition of the Jews and then the opposition of the Roman Empire, and yet in 400 years they reached the entire civilized world. Do your work through us, we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.